welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Oh, everyone is awake this morning. That's a really big encouragement right there. Um, Yes, we're going to be continuing our series and looking at some of the lesser-known books of the Bible. This morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai, not to be confused with haggis, which is something that some people eat, but Haggai, (laughs) Haggai was a Jewish, this may be why the name has not caught on, however, Um, he was a Jewish prophet who lived in the 500s BC. Let's just pause for just a moment and pray before we go on. Mm, Holy Spirit, come. I know that you have a word for us this morning, and I just pray that you would bring it. In the name of Jesus, amen. So when I was a teenager, I was taking a life-saving course, you know, to become a lifeguard. One of the things we had to do was dive down very deep and get this brick and bring it up from the bottom. And it should have been straightforward because I was a good swimmer, right? That's why I was taking the class. But I had a problem. I was scared of diving that deep. I'd had this incident when I was a little kid where I thought I was running out of air before I hit the surface. And although actually nothing happened and I was fine, obviously I hadn't recovered from that experience. And I was afraid that I was gonna run out of air. So, you know, I don't think I would have been able to do this lifeguarding course if God hadn't sent me a prophet of sorts. One of my swim instructors, her name is Shelly, she happened to be a Christian, she happened to go to my church, and so one day I just admitted to her, I'm just scared to do this. I'm scared I'm going to run out of air. So, you know, when I did this other half-hearted, failed attempt at this surface dive, and she just got down one day and looked at me in the eye, and she said, Rachel, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And I thought about what she said, and I thought, she's right. I'll have another go. And so I did a proper go that time, and I got the brick that time and every other time. And it was her word of truth, the right word spoken at the right time. It produced faith and action in my life. And that is what happens with Haggai. And believe me, it is not always the story of prophets. Okay, Lots of prophets, it doesn't happen like this, so nice and neat and tidy that God uses them in that moment. But that is what happened to Haggai. He had a word from God. And the people actually listened, and they responded with action and obedience. Now, we don't know much else about Haggai. The prophet Zechariah was around at the same time, and probably Haggai was in his 80s when he gave these messages. There are four or five messages, depending on how you count it, and it takes place over a period of just four months. So when the book opens, we find that the year is 520 BC. The people of Judah, that's the southern kingdom of Israel, right? They've been sent into exile into Babylon for 70 years. But the first group of exiles returned in 538 BC. That's why some dates should be up there. 
It's a little hard to follow. And they came back with this mandate from the Persian king, Cyrus, rebuild the temple to the Lord in Jerusalem. And if you want to read the story, the book of Ezra, first six chapters, tells the story. What happened when they came in 538 BC until they finished the temple in 516 BC. But this is 520, right? At the time this book is set, the group of people that Haggai is speaking to have been back for 18 years. Now, they completed the altar of God quite quickly and the foundations of the temple, and then there was all this opposition, and nothing had been done for 16 years on rebuilding the temple. So the book opens, and Zerubbabel is a descendant of King David. He's the governor, and a man named Joshua is the high priest. So let's read what happened on August 29th and September 21st, 520 B.C. I'm going to read from Haggai chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Then Zerubbabel Skipping to verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Who wants to see the glory of God? Who wants to be involved in ushering in the kingdom? You guys could say amen. Yes? Yes! I mean, I do. And, you know, I think the people of Israel did too. But they had gotten used to seeing this temple just sitting there, unfinished. And that represented the presence and the power of God in their midst. Today in our time, the temple of God is us, the people of God. 
And I wonder if we've also got a little bit too used to it being unfinished. We've got too used to being comfortable with the people in the room and not maybe uncomfortable enough with the people who aren't, that they're not here with us. There's more people in the family of God, in this house that he's building. And I think, especially the last two years, we may have gotten a bit distracted and preoccupied um, from the pursuit of God and his power and glory and what he wants to do. And so the book of Haggai is a message for us too, to wake us up as individuals and as a community, to awaken us to partner with God in what he is building, what he wants to do here and now. There's four words that are going to guide us through the message of Haggai for us today, and they all start with P. You know how rare that is, guys? (laughs) Ponder, priorities, promise, and perspective. So let's think first about ponder. Did you notice when we were reading how God says, Give careful thought to your ways. It was twice in what we just read, and it's other places in the book as well. God is drawing the people's attention. He's like, pay attention here. Pay attention. Um, In their situation, God is saying, I have allowed negative circumstances in your life because you know what? You've got something wrong. Now, of course, bad things happen to us, and it isn't always because we've done something wrong. We should never assume that biblically. But I think a fair assumption is that God wants our attention, that at any moment in time, God wants our attention. He wants to speak. He wants to guide us, comfort, encourage us. He wants to work in us, and he wants to work through us. So he wants our attention. And I think there are times in our lives where we're just like, if we would just stop for just a moment we would realize we've been working, 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 doing, 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 and it doesn't really seem to be getting us anywhere. Or maybe it got us somewhere, and it's not very satisfying. I remember the first time that I went on a guided Christian retreat. It was about, like, 13 years ago now. And, you know, I had been reading my Bible and praying every day, so I hadn't realized that I hadn't been taking time to be still with God until I did. And then it was like his communication with me was like a flood because as soon as I stopped and shut up, he could speak. And it seemed he had a lot to say. He spoke about, I came with questions, of course. I mean, that's why people usually go on a retreat. But there was so much more um, how he, what he wanted to say that I wasn't even asking. And the things that he spoke in that very first retreat influence my life and my priorities to this day. So when we stop running and we listen, often God speaks into our priorities. And that is what he did with these guys in Haggai's day. So number two is priorities. He began by challenging the people's assumption. Their assumption was it's not the right time to rebuild the Lord's temple. Have you ever said that? I mean, divine timing is a real thing, but we sometimes also use it as an excuse. It's not the right time to do whatever, but maybe we didn't actually ask God about whether it was the right time or not. Maybe we're a little bit more influenced by the challenges or the setbacks that we're experiencing or what we want to do, and 
In this case, the people were spending a lot of time making their own homes really beautiful. There was lots of DIY going on in Israel at this time. But God's house was lying in ruins. And he said, you have your priorities wrong. What are our priorities? We can tell a lot about them by how we spend our time and how we spend our money. A wise person I know, my husband actually, he once said, our, we are never satisfied when our priorities are wrong. And God wants to be first. He wants to be really first in our lives. That's it. Not coming just before the nice to have things like a better house and a better car and better clothes, but absolutely first. We read about this over and over in the Bible. One particular verse is Matthew 6.33, but seek his Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. In this case, it was food and clothing. That's the context. These things will be given to you as well. And I wonder if some of us have ended up a little bit off course with our priorities during, partly through the influence of the pandemic. We built some new habits, and some of them have been great, right? But some of them have been not so good. And as we continue on, maybe we're spending an awful lot of time watching television or playing video games or in these new hobbies or home improvement or whatever it is. God has been speaking to me about my, how much I guard my free time and my downtime now and whether I'm really willing for him to be Lord of all my time and trust him to provide what I need. So, Rest, recreation, family time, those are all important things. Don't misconstrue this. But if we're finding them to be not as satisfying as we think they should be, maybe it's time to go back to point number one and ponder in God's presence what he wants to say about our priorities and to give him our yes. Just what Amy was saying, exactly that point as we responded. With no strings attached, everything held open to our good God. Now, the third word is promise. Because the leaders and the people pondered their lives, and they took about 23 days to do it, and they gave God their yes and stepped out in obedience. They began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. The text says that God stirred up their spirits. I love that. And just reminds us that when God speaks into something, he gives us the grace and the desire and the power to take those steps forward. We're not doing that on our own. And, and God says to them, I am with you. That is his word. And God does not ever send us out on our own. He does not even ask us to take care of ourselves or to provide for our families on our own. He is with us. Now, his call does require our action. Those guys had to put down their own house-building, field-cultivating tools and pick up their temple-building tools. But they were not on their own, and we are never on our own. We have each other, and we have the God of Heaven's armies with us. And this is one of the most repeated words in the Bible, I am with you. And one particularly notable place in the New Testament is from Matthew 28. 
Therefore, Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Remember, the house that God is building is not a literal temple. It's the congregation of his people. And there is only one way that he does that. He does that through his church, through us, all of us. Not at some future perfect time when we think that, oh, it would just be perfect timing then. No, right here, right now, in the life that we have today, with all of its limitations, when we yield it 100% to God, he can build his house. And so if he's with us, then why do we so often hesitate? We so often hesitate to hold us, to invite our work colleague out for a drink or just or a neighbor over for a meal just to see what God's doing and how he's working or praying for somebody when they express a need or offering to pray with them. Why haven't we invited that friend along to church? And sometimes it is because our priorities are wrong. I mean, I'm speaking this to myself too, guys, okay? <laughs> um, but also, I think we haven't really clocked what it means that God is with us. That in the book of Haggai, God is referred to as the Lord of the Lord Almighty. It can also be translated the God of heaven's armies. And it's he is with us, his people, in his power and his glory wherever we go. Guys, we are talking about the God who fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and who parted the Red Sea so that his people could walk through on dry land. And he used such an unlikely character as Jonah to bring a whole city to their knees. So... We don't have to be that good, actually, because we have an awesome God. And that brings us to the last word, perspective. Because the story of Haggai is get going and keep going, actually. Because you know what? Once the people started building, they got discouraged, like within about a month. Anybody here ever been discouraged? I definitely have. And you know, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and the people knew that 440 years earlier, at this same feast, Solomon had consecrated the first temple, that magnificent building that just represented the height of the kingdom of Israel. And God's power descended on that temple. Do you remember? It's in um, 2 Chronicles 5. The priests couldn't even enter the temple because of the glory of God. And now, here these guys sit. They're a conquered people trying to rebuild a scaled-back temple. And it was hard work, and it was enough to discourage anybody. So let's just look for just a minute um, at Haggai chapter 2. Just read a few more verses of what happened next. Haggai 2 verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Ask, verse 3, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? 
But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. God wanted to emphasize to his people that what they were looking at was not what he was seeing. Their perspective was limited, but God's is not. God knew what was coming. God said he was going to fill this house with his glory. And I think, honestly, they were hoping it was going to come in a cloud like it did with Solomon. But it didn't. It came 500 years later. There were a little, some interesting twists and turns in the story in between and a bit more renovations that happened. But 500 years later, God's glory filled that place when Jesus entered it. He is the image and glory of God. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, Haggai, all those people, they didn't see that glory in front of their eyes. Yet, still, they're laying down of their farming tools and their picking up of their temple building tools were what facilitated that place of connection with God for centuries and a place that housed the glory of God in the person of Jesus. And you know, there is such a lesson for us here because for us too, so often ushering in the power and the glory of God comes through mundane, simple, daily choices to take the next step of obedience. It does not usually look or feel as glorious as we think it is to follow God. Now, there are moments of glory, don't get me wrong. There are spiritual highs, miraculous breakthroughs. We heard a story of one, although it was in some ways very ordinary, and yet it was miraculous. You see, and this is how it often happens. But And there is a good kind of unexpected where we're like, oh my goodness, God, I had no idea you were going to do it like that in a good way. But there are an awful lot of in-between days. There really are, where we look at things in our limited view and we wonder if we are accomplishing anything. I don't know how many times in my journey with Jesus so far, I have been discouraged thinking, God, I did not think it was going to be like this when you asked me to go to another country or you made me a parent or you um, asked me to take on this leadership role or whatever it is. I did not think it was going to be like this. You can fill in your own blanks of when you've been discouraged doing what God asked you to do. But God sent Haggai to his people to tell them that what God would do with their obedience was a lot more glorious than what their eyes could see. What felt small and insignificant to them was ushering in the glory of God. And he gives us that same word today. The steps of obedience that we take usher in the glory of God. 
we are a long way. Well, maybe we're not so far from seeing his church, his bride complete in her beauty. But we do get a glimpse of it. And God uses us to build that kingdom of his people and to, ex- to be able to express his glory through our simple everyday lives. So the New Testament gives the encouragement this way. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we're going to enter a time of response in just a minute, and I wonder where God is gently speaking today. Has he got our attention? Can we give him our attention now? Is he waiting for us to let him be first? Does he want to remind us that he sees our obedience and that he's with us? Does he want to encourage us that he's using us to build his kingdom, even if we feel that our efforts are small? So I wonder if we can just take a, a posture of response now. Um, maybe, maybe we can stand together or whatever helps you to connect with God and be open and responsive to him. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.